Hello and welcome to the Spirit Guide Society podcast. My name is Pedro Shanahan and I'm your spirit guide. Tonight in the Whiskey Society at Seven Grand, we had Deerhammer in the house with Linny and Amy Eckstein teaching us about their incredible line of American whiskeys. A husband and wife team making a family of whiskeys. Yeah, we tried their single malt, their straight bourbon, their hickory smoked whiskey. What? Deer Hammer hickory smoked whiskey? Yeah, you heard me right. Deer Hammer port cask finish, the Cultura cask, and the Deer Hammer crooked stave. That sounds weird. What kind of barrels made out of crooked staves? I don't know. Listen to the podcast and find out. Tell your friends who want to learn more about the spirits that they love. Spirit Guys Society podcast. Always listen to this podcast responsibly. That means if you're driving, don't be drinking. Thank you. And your mom thanks you too. Deer Hammer Whiskey. Now, you guys are coming out of Colorado. That's right. We have Buena Vista, Colorado. And you guys tracked us down through the podcast. You were listening to the podcast. Dude. and But how did you guys get started? And a husband and wife team. That's really cool. How are you able to do that and still like have a, <laughs> a, a positive, a happy relationship? We'll let you know when we figure it out. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Lenny, do you want to start and talk a little bit about how we yeah. started? Yeah. Well, Deer Hammer, we started back in 2010. And, uh, you know, to us, it was uh, what we were viewing as the emergence of craft distilling and craft whiskey, uh, particularly in Colorado, where there's there's really a, a really a depth of craft distilleries now. There's up to like 70, I think, uh, maybe a few more counting permits that aren't quite yet producing. Um, you know, we, we have diverse backgrounds. I, d- I don't have a family history that goes back, you know, generations as, uh, you know, distillers out of Kentucky. I, uh, I, I always like to make things. I, I was a graphic designer prior to, you know, kind of falling in or up or down the spiral of craft distilling. Um, but I always like to make things. And sitting behind a computer for the majority of my career, uh, it just it was wearing on me. I was done. And uh, I was very much into brewing beer, uh, obsessively. So uh, leaving work early to brew beer, waking up before work early to brew beer, uh, almost took a job brewing beer. And while I was doing that, um, another brewer ultimately turned distiller. Uh, he he kind of clued me into the fact that if one knows how to make beer, they know the majority of distilling, you know, handling grain, mashing, fermenting. That's the majority of it. And he further uh, clued me into the fact that if I have the equipment to make beer, I'm very close to the equipment to make whiskey at home. Uh, not legal, but highly recommended. Uh, by, um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, he said that, it clicked, and it was all over from there. Um, and it, it's been an awesome ride since. So we take a, you know, really uh, a different approach to making whiskey. There's a great, you know, all over the world, there's an amazing whiskey tradition. You know, what comes out of Scotland? What comes out of Ireland? What comes out of Japan? Uh, what comes out of the U.S., most particularly Kentucky? But what else is there? Where is there room for more? And that's really our hallmark is where is there room to bring flavor, value, and interesting contribution to the whiskey landscape. So, And when did you guys get started? When did you actually start rolling it out as it, your distillate? Yeah. When was Late 2011 was okay. when we fired up our stills. But... Early of 2012 is when we started uh, being open to the public regularly, and we started distributing soon after that. Just in Colorado initially? We have only been in Colorado. Um, we just about last week. Till about last week. Yeah. Um, yes. Now so we're here. Was... And you guys are we're we're not doing an illicit tasting. I'm not about to have the doors broken down. You, uh, well, you might be, but we are available. <laughs> we are available in California. Yeah. <laughs> you, you seem disappointed by that. <laughs> well, you know. 
That's oh right. my goodness. That's right. yeah. These guys rolled into town, and as a welcome to Los Angeles, they had their car towed with all the whiskey yeah. in it. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. It was yeah, awesome. Right? Everyone here has probably spent at least one month's rent on parking tickets. Yeah. I know I have, at least yeah. a couple of years. Yeah. And we're yeah. thinking about opening a tasting room right in front of the impound lot, because I've never <laughs> seen so many people want to have a drink, is in front of the impound Don't lot. Don't reward those tow truck drivers. <laughs> those guys, those impound guys, they're crooked, I well, swear. I'm in the uh, a lot of distilleries do start with something quick to market. Yeah, vodka or gin, something that right. doesn't need age. Yeah, and uh, yeah, uh, you know, in the words of Fred Minnick, vodka sucks. Um, no disrespect. Um, <laughs> I think he, that's an actual mantra of his. Yeah, I believe so. a chant. We were judges at the San Francisco oh, Spirits yeah, competition. Right. Yeah. And he was like actually chanting it. <laughs> yeah, I'll get behind that. Um, yeah, it's all right. Uh, gin, awesome spirit, but it, it wasn't really our mission initially. Um, so we started out, and at the time, there was uh, the landscape kind of was receptive to a white whiskey. Uh, a lot of folks wanted a pigeonhole as moonshine, and we looked at it and said, you know, we're making an unaged single malt whiskey. In Scotland, they call it new make, and it's, you know, not the most sipped spirit, but we thought it was a really interesting expression, and it was well enough received. It, it did well enough that it gave us a launch. Um, and then from there, our stuff started to get older and older. We started with, you know, small barrels and one-year-old stuff. A few years later, we were hitting two-year. Now we're hitting, you know, three and four-year. Um, How so we're small were these barrels that you usually oh, yeah, initially? It's a good question. I mean, the short answer is 30 gallons. Uh, the longer answer is uh, our intention was to go with standard-sized barrels, you know, like independent stave barrels, which we're using now. Um, we had a fire inspector that had a very odd interpretation of what are referred to as maximum allowable quantities or the amount of spirit that can be kept on hand in an either open or closed container. And his interpretation led him to believe that, this is kind of boring, but at 30 gallons, if you pull the bung, it's now an open container, not legal. So, so or, or above 30 gallons, so 30 gallons is the max. So we're like, all right, well, we'll do 30 gallons then. Uh, and it, it was what it was, you know, he ended up, uh, you know, giving us a lot of crap. He ultimately got fired, so, yeah. I mean, nice guy and all, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. So now we're applauding people getting fired. Yeah. Hey man, you, you got to give the people what they want, and the people wanted the distillery. So. Oh, there's so much bad karma happening here. I'm like cursing tow truck drivers and getting state officials fired. It's like yeah, yeah. But okay, initially when you start off, how big is your still? I want to yeah. know like, do you guys have a hybrid still, a pot still? What's going on? What's your basic? Distillation method. Yeah, well, uh, when we first, our very first still was an 150 gallon direct fire copper pot still. And when I say pot still, a traditional pot still, for real pot still. No plates, no columns, uh, a pot still in its truest sense. And we started with that, doing double duty, barely making any whiskey. What, what would you say we made per month? Uh, like, this much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was the only one making the whiskey. Um, well, yeah, if it's a 150 gallon pot still, that means it would take you at least one batch to even fill a, a barrel. How many? Oh, it was. I, I, you it, know, I like to say year gallon. one, it was one barrel. So wow. it started with our, one barrel a month. Um, one barrel a month. So, okay. And then, you know, then we would harvest one or two. And that through that, we were figuring out our process. Then year two, we were able to make two barrels a month. And that's how we grew organically from the beginning and also found our way about the whiskey, type of whiskey we wanted to make. And really developed right. our recipe and such. But it's cool. That was day, that was the early days. Uh, I would say about two years in. Uh, thankfully, Amy stepped in on the business side of things and realized that as much fun as I was having, 
uh, it wasn't going to work as a business. Right. And, uh, you know, hit up the bank and we figured out how to make bigger things happen. And we're still a very uh, small by small distillery by all standards, but our new setup consists of, uh, you know, starting from the very beginning to make grain to glass whiskey. Um, you know, a big malt silo uh, or a grain silo, depending on what we're making, uh, a malt handling system with a mill, augers, uh, a 20 barrel mash tun that can be converted to a cereal cooker, um, three 700 gallon fermenters, a 650 gallon pot still uh, that acts as our stripping or wash still. And then we still have our original 150 gallon still that's our finishing spirit still. Oh, cool. So, so yeah. now you're operating two stills. Yep. And what is this first spirit that we're going to be sipping on tonight? What is, Stephanie, what did you pass around here, love? American single malt. American single malt. So similar mash bill to Irish whiskey, scotch, Japanese whiskey. Right. Where are you getting your grain? Well, uh, taking into account all of those styles, we took an approach that was to some extent more rooted in brewing tradition. Uh, we get our grain uh, mostly from around the U.S. Um, it's 100% malt barley, all malt. Um, 80% of it is two-row pale malt, and the remainder of the grain bill is a mix of Crystal 45, what's called Special B, which is a dark roast crystal malt, and roasted barley. Oh, wow. Um, so, okay. you know, if it was to be a beer, go in that direction, it would make something like a stout, and a lot of those flavors, you know, tend to carry through. Okay, so that's really important, guys. So, what he's talking about, like, if you go to a beer store, I was up in Portland last week, and I was doing some research for a little pairing and I, I went to a, a beer store my brother took me to and uh, they had a bin and it was Golden Promise. This Golden Promise would have been what the entire scotch industry was using in the 80s, right? And when I saw it, I was like, wow, Golden Promise. And I, the beer guy just looked at me and was like, yeah, it's a base malt. <laughs> like it's nothing special because in whiskey making, traditionally, they weren't using really expensive grains. They just used whatever grass they had around. But now with this craft brewing going on all over America, you see in these beer stores really specific different varietals of malted barley, some that are roasted, but they have all, they have like honey malt and crystal malt and all these different kinds of grain that have a very intense, specific flavor. Whereas in the whiskey world, we're like, oh, golden promise. For them, that's just like the body of the beer that they're making. It doesn't really have that much flavor in their mind. Whereas in the whiskey world, people covet it that certain kind of grain. Whereas across the spectrum now, everyone's using like uh, Concerto, Overture, these, these varietals of malted barley that are used by the entire industry just because it's about creating alcohol per tonnage. If you go to some of these distillers and you ask them about their grain, they're like, I don't know, whatever shows up in the truck. They're not trying to make fancy grain. Uh, yeah, it's just distiller's grain to them. It doesn't really have that much character. But what you're saying is you guys took the approach of like really getting a good beer first, putting the money into these like higher tiers of qualities of grass to put into your whiskey. And that's, I think, a smart idea if you're going to try to take on, try to get some shelf space out there. You need to make a, a better product. Sure. Well, and, and there's no, you know, obviously there's no one way to do things. Our approach is very much looking at, as I've said, what's been done, what can we bring and what can be impactful. Um, you know, people talk about their water a lot and water's cool, but uh, as far as impact goes, I find a lot more impact in the roasted grains or the grain itself or our fermentation technique or our distillation technique. Are you good? What kind of <laughs> yeast are you guys using? Yeah, so uh, we use, uh, I'm really bad at the exact terms. It's a, it's a fermentous product, it's the American whiskey yeast. I want to say it's the U.S. 
six, USW six, something like that. I just ordered it a couple. So it's ago. distiller's yeast. It's uh, well, that's an interesting concept. The, the notion of distiller's yeast, because the difference between distiller's yeast and brewer's yeast, very subtle, if at all different. I mean, they're both, you know, a strain of Saccharomyces, as opposed to some of the other strains like Britannomyces, which we'll talk about later. Um, gee, like we've made whiskey with distil- uh, brewer's yeast, and we've made whiskey with distiller's yeast. The difference is so negligible. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've done side-by-sides tasting the new make, and we've selected the yeast that we find is better. Better is so subjective and so subtle. Uh, we do look for big ester development, and some beer strains do as well. I've made beer with our whiskey yeast, just small batches. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, technically a distiller's yeast, but uh, I, d- I, don't, I don't find yeast to be something that should be secretive. I don't, I don't quite understand why... Uh, some distillers choose to keep it to you. I mean, like there's a, like there's some yeast. Right, yeah, it's, it's everywhere. everywhere. It's everywhere. It, yeah. What kind of barrels are you finishing in? Well, we, we go into charred new oak. We okay. do a heavy toast and a number two char. Okay. It all comes from independent, independent stave cooperage. So a little bit of a bourbon process on what traditionally exactly. would have been a European whiskey model in terms of the, the mash bill. Exactly that. I mean, okay. we're, we're using a bourbon yeast and we're using charred new oak like a bourbon. Okay, yeah. so you guys stick your nose in that glass, breathe in gently through your mouth, tap some over your tongue, and share your experience. There's no wrong answers here. Getting like chocolate and Wow, that's yeah, good. Yeah, we that's get good. meat a lot. Yeah, yeah it, it has a hammy note to it for sure. Yeah. What? She got pistachios pistachio chocolate. Pistachio is fantastic. Yes. Pistachio yes. gelato, nice. Mm. Yep, no, it's not what you spot getting. on. Yep. No wrong answers here. Yep. That's right. There's no wrong answers. Everyone's experience is different. Your ability to smell and taste all comes from your memory, your personal experience. Darker chocolate. Okay. I like that. And you said this had roasted malt in it. It does. So yes. that could lead to some of those like dark chocolate notes because they're actually roasting it. And when you see a roasted malt, often it looks a little burnt or it'll take on, you can actually eat the grain. It'll taste like coffee. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it definitely takes on some phenolics for sure. And as well, we're one of the few distilleries in the U.S. that does employ a direct fire pot still. So there's a bit of a Maillard reaction from the kettle caramelization of the fire in the high heat that it's hitting. You know, that, that kind of lends a certain kind of, to me, some people pick up smoke. I don't, I don't quite get that, but I think like just a, a roastiness. So no age statement on this. Oh, yeah, there, there's the an age statement. It's just uh, on the back of the bottle. Maybe it's on the front. Well, it, it's uh, minimum two years is our age statement. It's quite often we've blended in barrels uh, at three to four years. Um, but we're creeping up there, you know, it, until it's, as you all might know, until it's exclusively of a certain age, you state the age of its youngest yeah. contribution. So we state two years. But let's get back to that relationship question. How do you guys, right? right. Wait, this is not a transactional relationship, all right? How do you know? This is love, baby, all right, all right? And love tastes better than money, I tell you that. Um, But tell us about it. How how was it in in those first couple couple years? So um, a little bit about Lenny may not have told you. She's a perfect combination of artist and scientist. And I think it was very clear, early on how talented he is with beer, with making things with, and with spirits. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my background, I'm a nurse, um, I'm a critical care nurse, but my family, my dad was an entrepreneur for his whole life. Uh, my first, my first um, memory of him was he would sell carnations on the side of the road in inner city Boston. 
you know, he was just always, he was always hustling and just loved business. So I was always drawn to that. Um, so my, our job has evolved into, I create the space so Lenny can be creative and make exceptional whiskey. And that's kind of our relationship and how it's evolved. I'll kind of make everything work. Um, and if Lenny's like, hey, we need to get to, we need to get our whiskey to three years. Okay, well, this is what it looks like to get there. And it's really a great balance where Lenny is the artist, but I take, I'm more interested in doing all the other stuff so then to keep Lenny pure so it, our whiskey is always where it should be. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's how it evolved. And, uh, and through all that, it was, you know, we had a child and yeah. we yeah. never had a fight. It's amazing. We've never had an <laughs> argument about anything. Come but, on. Right. Come but, on. but it's really like a nice, um, you know, it is husband, wife, business partner, but it's really just saying, okay, I'll, this is, this is my area. This is your area. And that's, um, and that's how it's. You guys have kids? Uh, yes. We have a son, Arlo. Yeah. All right, all right. I'll, yeah. I'll... He's five. Nice. He loves the whiskey. Oh. <laughs> I'm the pacifier. No, see, it's good for teething. It's good for teething. Yep. Yeah. So right now, what's your output in terms of how much single malt are you going to put out this year? Of this, this first expression, how many cases? Great. So um, as between, we have a tasting room and our wholesale. Um, they're both about half and half. So uh, in Colorado, you're allowed to have a tasting room, which is, which is very important for small distilleries because otherwise, to get bigger, you need to be able to, um, what's going to hold you over. So that's where the white whiskey came into play. Um, and just having a retail space, it helps you build your brand through Colorado. So this year, we'll, um, we sell everything that's ready, but not everything that we make. Uh, so this year, I think we'll, um, we'll end up selling uh, about 2,009 liters. So that's uh, 4,000 six packs, and that's really just in Colorado. Um, and at this, you know, for us, it's all about um, we only want to put out whiskey we love. And sometimes that means last fall we ran tight on whiskey. You know, technically our whiskey was two years old, we could have put it out, but we're like, you know what? Nope, we're just going to hold off. We'll let you wow. know when our whiskey's ready. So uh, we feel really lucky that we're in a Thanks. position um, that we can do that because we never, we made it this far without. Um, without sacrificing our whiskey, so now we're we're happy that we are we feel really lucky we're able to do that. So you're pretty much selling out. I mean, not in a bad way. You're <laughs> yes. selling out of that's everything right. you that's have. Right. Yes, yeah. we hold back. All right, that's brilliant. Back. That's brilliant. So Stephanie's coming around with the second mark here. Stephanie, what's the second one you're passing out? Straight bourbon. Okay. So straight bourbon. Okay. What is your mash bill here? Yeah, so this is a pretty unconventional bourbon. Uh, I, you know, I mentioned what's being done in Kentucky earlier, and there's some great stuff coming out of Kentucky. I drink a ton of it. We didn't want to do that, though. It's already being done brilliantly. So we took a left, and our bourbon, the mash bill, 65% Colorado-grown corn, and that's a food-grade corn. It's usually used for cornbread or cornmeal. It's not the yellow number two dent corn that usually would go to, you know, feed. Also makes a great bourbon, but we want to do something a little different. So. 65% Colorado-grown corn, 20% Colorado-grown wheat, 10% smoked oats, 5% chocolate malt. So pretty unconventional grain bill um, with the intention of keeping it a little drier and just bringing in different flavor components. Uh, worth noting as well, uh, it does have a two-year statement on the bottle, but it's actually three years for whatever it's for worth. Most of it would be three uh, years. This one, yeah, this batch in particular. We're at three years for our bourbon now.
And are you, is this standard size barrels, meaning 52-gallon barrels here, all of it, no 30-gallon barrels? No, all full-size barrels. Now we'll get into these tasting notes that you were were trying to bring up. So stick your nose in that glass, breathe in gently through your mouth. What are you guys getting back here? I I get like beef broth. Chocolate. Burnt toast. Okay, yep. I like that. That could be, do you guys use some roasted malt in this at all? Yes, okay. Yes. Burnt toast to me, when you eat that roasted grain, often it, it tastes like burnt toast. That's definitely there. What else? What else are you guys getting? Can I get some toasted peanuts? Toasted peanuts? A little bit of cashews. Okay. And cashews, yeah. Cashews, great. That's a good Charred oak barrels being used for the first time because yep. it's bourbon. Yep, first use, same heavy toast number two char profile. Beautiful. Number two char. You know, we go with a lighter char in all of our stuff to really let our grain bill shine forward because we're not doing a standard grain bill. And if we're going to bring in, incorporate oats and wheat and chocolate malt and all these, you know, somewhat unconventional grains, we want them to show through. Uh, this is delicious. What's the bottle price on this? Oh, good question. 40, the bourbon? Uh, you'd find this on the shelf for $49.99. $49.99 for craft distilled American-made bourbon from Colorado. What about your single malt, that first expression that we tasted? How much is that gonna run? 53, 54-ish. Wow, okay. All right, um, so Stephanie just came, came around with the third mark. Thank you though, thank you guys. And uh, what? Ooh, hickory smoked. Okay, all right, so this is interesting. How do you smoke a liquid? Yeah. Good question, so there's a lot of ways, and historically, Smoke was imparted into whiskey by nature, the fact that to malt barley, they used, in Scotland primarily, they used peat. So they used bricks of basically mud that dried out and were used as heat. Um, We're kind of riffing on that, and we don't need to use peat anymore to malt grain unless one chooses to, and certainly there's a reason to do that. We looked at and wanted to do something decisively American. So we went with hickory wood, and to do that, we already had malted barley, uh, but in this case, this is a corn whiskey. It's 100% Colorado-grown corn, same corn that we use in our bourbon. Yeah, and, and corn isn't known to uh, absorb smoke very well. We, again, looked at a very traditional style of American whiskey. Corn whiskey is kind of a weirdo. It doesn't get a lot of representation. Um, you know, if memory serves right. I believe it has to be at least 85% corn. Um, and this is a, a, it doesn't, it cannot go into charred new oak. It can go into charred used oak. It can go into toasted new oak. Uh, So what we do with this one, uh, to step back a little bit, we wanted to do a smoked, a heavily smoked spirit. Kind of our answer to an Isla style, maybe like a Laphroaig 10, or even almost like a Mezcal in some ways. Uh, So 100% corn that we take 20% of, load it into a smoker that we built, and we fill that smoker. Uh, There's a chamber in the back, we fill it with wood, hit it with smoke for about six to eight hours, really let it coat that corn, and uh, this is the result. It's uh, everything... Uh, sour mashed, open fermented for a minimum of four days, as with everything else, double pot distilled, and in this case, matured in our used X single malt barrels. Oh, right. So you guys, let's share this experience. Let's share this moment. Tell me what you're getting as you smell and taste this Deer Hammer corn whiskey. Is that what it says on the label? What does it actually say here? It says corn somewhere. And yeah. you know, the, historically, like corn whiskey didn't see a long maturation period. We only go two years on this stuff. What are you guys saying? Because I want to hear these flavor words you guys are picking <laughs> on. I, I said it's like, it's like a mixture of chocolate and caramel with this one. Okay. For me, it's like, a, like almost 
a vanilla caramel. It's like, it's so concentrated. Uh, what do you guys get on this hickory smoked whiskey? And what was, you you wanted to, what was the idea? Like hickory smoked whiskey, was it, were you inspired by mezcal then? Or what was the vibe? I would say a big idea at Deer Hammer is constant fuckery. And when we see a style that has an opportunity to let us experiment, we jump on it. And in this case, you know, it was just circumstantial. We had more corn than we did this, the additional grains to make our bourbon. And our other, our other distiller, Nick Blake, and I looked at it and said, let's do a corn whiskey. Let's figure out something different. Where can we, you know, again, bring something unique, bring our own, like, thumbprint to the style. And, and also for cocktails. I mean, we should also talk about it. You know, all our whiskeys work beautifully in cocktails, but I find this one in a cocktail really shines. Um, and what, that was what great. What kind of cocktail? Um, I think it's simple as an old-fashioned or something uh, maybe on a take uh, Similar, uh, like a penicillin, yes, of course, or like kind of almost like a margarita with like a balance of like citrus, okay. um, a little bit of orange, and it, it just for that we we love that. Um, it's just so unique to be able to have it in a cocktail. Yes, as well. definitely unique. You know, I get I get a little cherry on the tongue and 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 chocolate and like a smoked. That's probably from the hickory. Yeah, definitely. Or something like more of a s'more taste. Like S'mores. Yeah. I have little, no, really, yeah. I got a little graham cracker in yeah. there too. Like, what what proof are you going to the barrel at? Yeah, there, there's no uh, standard m beyond what the maximum proof typically is. We go in them a lot lower. We're usually around 105 proof. Uh, something that myself and our other distiller, Nick Blake, took on is to uh, do the calculation to decide how much proofing water to add to what comes off the still, which off the still, we're typically at a lower proof. Using pot stills, being discriminate with our cuts, we're usually around like 130 proof. Fairly low there. We'll proof it down to 105. Uh, we'll do the calculation, see how much water to add, but we don't get it exact. We just dump water in and get close. So it'll, it's just, it's more fun. And we go from, so I would say between 102 and 107 uh, going into the barrel. It's just whatever happens that day happens. That's, that's pretty soft going into the barrel. A lot of distilleries go that's in right. a lot hotter than that for sure. Yep. So you're watering before you put it into the barrel. That's right. So that allows that water to marry with the spirit and interact with the oak versus adding all of the water at the end. And really, not that there's anything wrong with that, but we want the most flavor. And, you know, uh, we're a fairly small operation. Um, you know, I, I spoke about water a little earlier, and something I find interesting that I don't know why more distilleries don't talk about. Everyone likes to celebrate their water. I mean, we're at 8,000 feet, right at the base of the Continental Divide. If there was a marketing campaign to be had for how high quality water is, we could jump all over it. The truth is, you, everyone runs their water through a reverse osmosis filter. So, like, you know, we add that water. Um, but that's not what makes our spirit great. I think uh, going into lower proof really lets the spirit interact with the bottle and the bottle, the barrel at a nice proof. I think and, that uh, when people brag about their water, they're talking about the water that goes in the fermentation, not the proofing yeah. water. Because everyone has to use purified water to bring it down to proof. But distilleries are allowed to use, you could use well water, you could use, you know, slew water if you wanted in your fermentation because you're going to distill it. So it can be really, really funky. And in true, Scotland, true. a lot of times, the, the groundwater itself will have peaty aspects to it or That's a great call. intense minerality to it that you wouldn't or necessarily salinity. want to drink or salinity, exactly, for sure. Island water often has a high salinity. So the idea of this pure water really came about uh, with Coors. You know, with brewing, it makes a huge difference. And um, that was part of Coors' marketing campaign was like this beautiful, clean Colorado water. Uh, and it makes a huge difference, but 
So that's been a very easy selling point. Uh, but a lot of what we do is, well, let's challenge how things are done. And you have to look at every step of the process and be like, does this matter, does this not matter? Does it matter fermenting for three days or five days? So Lenny did both. Water, yeah, you gotta look at it. Well, if everyone's filtering their water going in, we, you know, we try and be honest with our consumers and we've always been authentic with them. And we don't wanna say, even though it might be easier, and a lot of the distributors we talk to are like, well, sell the water, sell the water. It's like, but it's not true. And we, that's who we are. We must be, we have to be true to ourselves and we owe it to our consumers to really be honest with them. And open fermentation versus closed fermentation. Yeah, Did you experiment with that? Uh, we never went to closed fermentation for a very deliberate reason. Open fermentation allows for the natural floor to settle in uh, particularly lactobacillus, that's a big one. So we go in, the yeast does its thing, and then in time, the lactobacillus settles in, it lends organic acids, and those organic acids over time in the barrel contribute some really big, cool flavors. So a lot of the neat fruit notes, some of the subtleties in some cases, be it our whiskey or other whiskeys, uh, that open fermentation, it lends cool flavor, and that's, mm -hmm. that's why we do that. You get sometimes different wild yeast strains will get in there and start to compete, which will change some of the flavors. And that long fermentation gives the chance for more variance of flavors to occur. The longer that fermentation is, more variance of yeast, more variance of flavors. So this fourth whiskey, what do we got, Steph? It's the American Single Malt Whiskey with a pork pass finish. Whoa, fancy. So excited for this. Yeah, fancy. So this did two years in the same heavy toast number two char new oak. And then we went another year in port. So another year. yeah, yeah. And that, that's a big contribution considering yes. the overall it maturation. Is. It is. That's a lot longer than most yeah. for a pork finish. Yeah, you know, like I, I, I've heard the analogy that, uh, let me see if I get this right, that if you had like, uh, a mahogany bar top, you wouldn't paint it. Uh, you know, you wouldn't cover up those beautiful wood notes. Well, we might. We might paint black stripes on it, and that's that's what this is to me. It's it's going a little bigger on the port because I think that our single malt has these bold, roasty chocolate flavors that can stand up to that dark fruit, plum, cherry note. And what is this going to run me at my local liquor store? The Deerhammer Single Malt Port Cask Finish. Uh, well, if you could find it, uh, it would be on the shelf at fifty nine ninety nine. So Stephanie's coming around with the fifth mark. This is the Deer Hammer. This one's our Progeny series. The Progeny uh, series. It's, it's the very first release. And, and this is some weird stuff we're bringing you guys. Yeah, so it's, it's an experimentation. It's a collaboration with other producers. In the case of this one, um, it's a little convoluted. So we worked with Cultura Craft Chocolate on this. Uh, I'm a big chocolate fan. I think there's a lot of cool chocolate notes in our single malt as is. But we worked with this chocolate producer, a bean to bar chocolate producer, to find the single origin chocolate that we felt fared, fared best with our American single malt. And uh, from there, what we did was uh, order in a whole mess of Guatemalan, which was, happened to be the single origin at work well, Guatemalan, Guatemalan single origin cacao nibs that, we, that were roasted and we poured 10 pounds per barrel uh, into four different barrels, poured a little bit of whiskey in there and let it sit for two months. Rolled the barrels around, let it season in that barrel, um, because typically you get a port barrel, a sherry barrel, um, a vermouth barrel. They're, they're already seasoned. They just dump that juice out. In this case, nobody fills barrels with cacao nibs. So we did that. Two months later, we dumped out those cacao nibs, filled it with two-year single malt, let it sit for an additional year. Yeah. So uh, just a very unconventional finish but something that we felt would be a neat collaboration and would work well with our single malt. So you're calling this a cultura cask finish, meaning that you cultured the barrel. Is <laughs> that right. what I'm getting Well, at the chocolate then? producer, 
the chocolate producer, uh, their Cultura Craft Chocolate in Denver. Oh, okay. okay. As you might be aware, you know, there's some hoops and things you have to jump through with our government for label approval. And, uh, you know, they, they, they didn't like the sound of uh, cacao cask finished. They seemed to bite on Cultura cask finished. So. It smells like taffy. Right, right. Yeah. What are you guys getting? Stick your nose in that glass, yeah, breathing gently through your mouth. What food words come to mind? Truffle. Truffle like oh, yeah. mushrooms, huh? Yeah, that's great. What else? Chocolate. What? Chocolate? Oh, all right, all right. It's like chocolate cake. Chocolate cake. Mm -hmm. Hazelnut? What else? What are you guys getting back there? Hershey's, all right. Right, right. Mm -hmm. yeah. All right. Like a Whopper. Whopper. That's great. <laughs> so it is, it's single malt whiskey, which has that malt sugar, which will give you those tastes of like malt sugar, you know, malt balls with that chocolate. It's beautiful. And this is limited release. You're not going to be able to find this at your local liquor we store. We have a thousand bottles coming out in August in Colorado only. Um, but yes, we'll eventually be able to do it um, larger releases for California in the years to come. But this will be available in Colorado. If you can, if you see a bottle of this, absolutely grab it. Um, yes, yeah, so this I would say in the fall about a thousand bottles. And how many barrels did you uh, do the cacao aging in? Four, four. four yeah, barrels. Yeah, pretty only. limited. Okay. Yeah, you know, we, we like I said, like we like to goof around and try new stuff. All right. All right. Very yeah. interesting. But, uh, you know, flavor notes, uh, a lot of deep raisin, a little bit of citrus. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. where I think the apricot, like um, yeah, the yeah, stone fruit. It's really nice stuff. <laughs> uh, the skins of the cacao. I get like this yeah. fermented chocolate right. kind yeah. of thing, you know? Like, Dried apricot, yeah. yeah. What has been the most challenging moment thus far in the, in the business as a family to bring this to market? I mean, I don't know if there's one thing. It's been an evolution, and uh, we've learned a lot. We've learned a lot about business. I think, uh, you know, trying hard to leave it at home, or rather, leave it at, home. Leave it at work and not bring it home. But, uh, you know, this is our lives. This is, our brand isn't just something that we made up. It's what we're all about. Well, I think also, too, you know, everyone here, you have a couple, you have a significant evidence. You have a weird day at work, and you come home. And that person advocates for you. You know, you sit there and you're like, my boss did this today. <laughs> and you, you know, you have that person to, to kind of get your back. But here, we don't have that. And so I think that's probably the most challenging thing, mm -hmm. um, I'd say. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Uh, what, was the, uh, what was the exact moment that you knew this was more than a hobby? I don't know if we're there yet. Um, <laughs> I think when, um, for me personally, a, a moving, we had the, our American single malt for many years, just our gray label, our first one. You had it, but what does that mean? Like you I'm sorry, it was on the shelf, it was in distribution, it was widely available, but we really wanted to, what we do, we just want to do really well. Uh, so we focused on American single malt, and that's really what we threw ourselves behind until we were happy with it just we were happy with its distribution. We were happy with, happy with its aging. Um, and then we moving, moved on to our bourbon. But when um, our port cask finish was in a bottle, and I first held that bottle in my hand, and I saw the two of them next to each other, I, I had a feeling it was going to be OK. Just seeing the two together was a really powerful moment for me. Because yeah. I'm like, it's working. Um, mm -hmm. It's taken a lot of time. So that, that was a really powerful moment for me. So what's the, so what is this? Yeah, tell about, we're so right. excited about this. So this is what is going to become our progeny number two. 
this collaboration is representative of work we did with Crooked Stave Artisan Brewery in Denver. Crooked Stave is known for their mastery of Britannomyces yeast. So Britannomyces, as opposed to Saccharomyces, different kind of yeast. It is very known for funky, sometimes sour, barnyard-style notes in beer. Whiskey. By the way, barrel proof. It's uh, probably about 120. So this is one that we kept high. Do you know how to? 130, right. 120. But what we did on this one, Crooked Stave brought us uh, roughly, this was five years ago, a uh, thousand gallons of one of their beers. It was called Hop Savant, Britannomyces Dry Hopped. We double distilled it like we typically do, and we matured it in a mix of, uh, you know, charred, our same barrel profile, heavy toast, number two char, new oak and used oak. It's been sitting for five years. This isn't in bottles yet. This is right out of the barrel. And it's a really funky, unique whiskey. I, I don't know that any other whiskey has been, doubt any other whiskey has been made from a 100% Britannomyces fermentation, um, but just some outrageous flavors and aromas. And uh, th this has been a fun one for me. Yeah, let's taste it, let's taste it. Yeah. Stick your nose in that glass, breathe in gently through your mouth. Tap some over your tongue. What are you reminded of? This is really unique smelling whiskey wow. here. Wow. <laughs> it smells like a sour beer. I'm getting some lychee on this. Yeah, I get that very strong. That's good. It's also really oily, really oily. Yeah, this is, I think this is our prize possession. And that's from the yeah. beer. Yeah, bottle. Mm -hmm. And what was the match on this again? 100% base malt, two row. Um, like I said, Britannomyces uh, fermented, barrel aged, and dry hopped. So they bought a, a weird beer. Yeah, exactly. Beer. Wow, really great stuff. You guys, let's give it up for the folks, Lenny and Amy Eckstein from Beer Hammer in Colorado. Amazing stuff. They brought out some really incredible marks for you guys tonight. So go to your local liquor store, ask for the Deer Hammer. They're just now getting on the market here in Southern California. You guys were some of the first people here to try it. So thank you guys for coming out. Really, really yeah, great to you have you. Thank you, thank you. Thank you. Thank Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you like what you heard, please head over to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating and review. The Spirit Guide Society is a Spirit Adventures production in association with Bitten from the Apple Productions. Special thanks to Tone Mesa for their post-production and audio services. The show was produced by Andrew Apple and me, Pedro Shanahan. Executive producer, Andrew Abrahamson. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Spirit Guide SOC. We'll be there to answer any questions you have, share what we're drinking, and more. And if you're still thirsty, you can always find more episodes of the show wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to always drink responsibly. That means don't drink to forget, drink to remember. Remember.